Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Rebecca Lovell. Rebecca is a Seattle native and has more than 20 years of management and operating experience and over a dozen years running and supporting local startups. She currently serves as executive director at Create33, a founder center conceived by Madrona Venture Group in 2018. She is a mentor, board member, classically trained flautist, a karaoke lover, dedicated partner, sister, daughter, and future mom, which is crazy (laughs) news. We will get to that. A few months ago, I was on the Create 33 podcast, so I'm really excited to turn the tables on Rebecca. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Shauna. I'm psyched that you're here. We're starting because I know you've listened, to, so you get to know that we're doing our... uh, what are we calling Lightning it? round? Lightning round. We can call it whatever we want. I've had a few people be like, why didn't you tell me about this? I'm like, because then it wouldn't be <laughs> it wouldn't be rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Since you are a serious karaoke and you're incredible for those who have not heard her, she's like, Thank you. You're baller. What is your favorite all-time karaoke song? Oh, me? I've got this philosophy about karaoke where you have to read the room. It's a product market fit issue. Oh, that's hilarious. So, <laughs> that's so you. <laughs> okay, but so what, what would you do right now for me? I'm you know me feeling well Adele, actually, oh. for this room. Oh, Adele. What right. song? Someone Like You is a go-to. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. I I've see. <laughs> Game <can> over. <laughs> Where's the dishes? We haven't even gotten to the good shit. Look. Uh, I also love Aretha Franklin, Joan oh, yeah. Jett, Patsy Klein. You have Kim to tell me Con- next Time you go. Let's make I a just, date. Yeah, that was my favorite when I went out with you was listening Aww. to you sing. Um, <laughs> who would you, since you're so good and we are flipping uh, flipping sides here where I'm getting to interview you. So weird to be who, on this side. Who would you most like to interview if you could interview anybody? Oh, gosh, my heroes growing up as a history major were Eleanor Roosevelt and Harriet Tubman. Nice. Either one of those would be amazing. Those would be incredible interviews yeah. to listen to. Um since you're always in incredible shape, I'd like to know, as your sister friend, what do you do to keep in shape? Oh, you work gosh. out so much. I do. It really is as much for my mental health as anything, and it's time for myself, unlike the rest of my day, as I can imagine is true for you. So I was banned from team sports about 15 years ago because my but doctor— you got injured, right? Oh, so, so many times. Yeah. So I took up individual sports, used to do little baby triathlons, but these days uh, it's a combination of orange fit— uh, orange theory and future fit oh future fit is this incredible app so i have a digital trainer she's a real human but she tees up exercise videos for me every day i wear a heart rate monitor and she texts me feedback on a daily basis so i have this this paid friend that keeps me working out every single day i'm so happy to hear about this what's funny is that i'm starting to delete stuff off my phone Mm because i have too many i'm like your gratitude app is telling you to be grateful this morning like i'm getting all these alerts of what i'm not doing but this one is actually super relevant. I can send you a free month. Love. Done and done. Yes. Free month. Yeah. <laughs> we love free. Um, that's awesome. Um, what one word would your friends use to describe you? Mm. Energetic. 
you are energetic. <laughs> and I'm you're generous. with empathy or energy, those I hear quite a lot. I'm delighted to say. Yeah. That's who I am. Those I are good hope. ones. <laughs> um, what have you read, seen, or listened to that's shaped your life? I've been on this, just reading-wise, I've been on this memoir kick lately because I love, like you, I love stories about people. And that's included uh, Shiro Kashiba, the sushi chef here in town, um, Tanisi Coates, Michelle Obama, Melinda Gates. I'm reading one by Samantha Power. I just love stories about people. And those help shape you because they help you in what way? They're inspiring. And I think that, you know, having these amazing people and understanding their life experience, it's a foil to your own. You sort of hold up a mirror mirror to yourself when you learn about other people. I think earlier, though, in my, I read so many books. My brother always said the library was my best friend. But one of my favorite books that I constantly loaned out or just gave to friends is called A Natural History of the Senses by Diane Ackerman. She is a physiologist and I swear a poet. It's this beautifully written piece of nonfiction about every sense that we experience, including synesthesia. And talk about just deep empathy and appreciation for the world around you. I love like, that Every book. time I'm around you, I'm like, who are you? <laughs> You're a total awesome. geek. No, Oh, but I love that geek. You're a hot geek. Let's be honest. Okay. What habit are you currently trying to break? I tend to overcommit. I say yes to too many things. So I really need to do like a cleanse of my activity. Well, I'm glad you said yes to this before your cleanse. <laughs> I this just would snuck, make I, I snuck it in right before you got into your cleanse mode. So as a fellow Seattleite, mm. I love it. Garfield, right? Yes. Bulldogs. Garfield, hi, go Bulldogs. Tell me about your childhood growing up in Seattle. Wow. So, you know, as you can imagine, it was a pretty different place then mm-hmm. than it is now. I feel like even in the last 15 years, 100%. every five years, it's a new city. Yeah. Um, but I had the good fortune of growing up um, on Capitol Hill, a very kind of dense, packed neighborhood with kids our age. And so my brother had a skateboard and I, we kind of bobsledded all the time. That was just a fun activity for us. We were so fortunate that my stepdad, who he's been married to my mom for 38 years now, mm-hmm. um, he's a general contractor. And so they were able to buy this lovely house for a song. And he has literally been remodeling it for 35 years now, I think. It's just every every year is like a new little spruce <laughs> yeah. up. But it's great. We um, were just surrounded by so much love and so many friends and had a really, you know, for um, having parents who were divorced when I was very young, had an incredibly yeah. How old were you stable your parents divorced? upbringing. I was six and my brother was four. And do you remember that moment? I do. I have one of those weird memories where I go way back in my childhood and remember images and feelings and moments. And I do. And, it, uh, you know, you know, my philosophy about relationships, as I mentioned, is there between zero and two people who understand them. I mm-hmm. didn't understand then. I frankly, yeah. probably don't know what yeah. it was that happened. Was your dad a um, person in your life? Yeah, and, and still, still is. is. He, he's also remarried. Yeah. Um, so I, I get to see him now that he's back closer to Seattle from time to time. But, you know, I think in that moment... I had this belief that maybe I was magical and that I controlled everything and therefore everything was my fault. Mm-hmm. And if I'm just good enough and work hard enough, I can make other people happy. Yeah. And I would be lying so if common. I said that yeah. didn't sort of shape who I am and became. And, you know, despite years of therapy, that's who I still am. I yeah. genuinely want to please people. Yeah. And- <laughs> you have siblings? I do have a younger brother. He's only a year and a half younger. Okay. And we are besties. My I brother like and I are 15 say. months apart. We've never discussed right. this. Ugh. There's and something about that. are you super that. close? We are super close. 
um, I would say my like a go-to person that mm-hmm. I completely depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we overlap socially. Well, he's a lot. younger or older. He's older. Okay, mm-hmm. so, I'm the older. And how do you think that kind of birth order thing has shaped you? Uh, well, this is also just you part definitely of seem how like older. I'm wired. I am a big sister to just about everyone, yeah. whether they like it or not. I guess. Um, well, I think this was also part of when my parents split. We would spend summers with my dad, and so that's when I think a lot of other kids are socializing with their other friends. So he and I had each other. Mm, and even when I was as young as eight years old, I didn't really know how to cook, but I would make him butter sandwiches. And took so care of him. I, you know, to the extent that I could, I was eight. Yeah. Was but he, we is he a, really um, close? Is he a kind of self-described nerd? Also, that's how you describe yourself. He, you know, he geeks out in other dimensions. Like I really think of him as the artist. Both mm. my mom and stepdad are studio art majors. And oh, they are. This really artistic family, and so my brother um, is a crafter. He's a musician. He also is a carpenter. So he's, wow. you know. My my brother, mom, and stepdad are all makers, and I've always admired That's that so about each cool. of them. And yeah. do they think of you as like the hardcore business? You know, they I think would your say instructor they don't... at UW and on all these boards. The teaching and... part they get, and that's something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid and explaining my kindergarten lessons to my dolls. That part I think <laughs> they can grok. My sort of corkscrew of, of a career over the last twenty years, I know they're proud of me, but kind of don't don't get it. <laughs> Yeah. Do they get the impact that you've had on the Seattle community? Mm, Have they I, seen you at any of these events? I'm not shy, as you know. I'm a total extrovert. Although I wonder if it were, you know, my mom or stepdad or brother in the audience, if it might change me. I mean, I'm so close with them. But no, I don't believe they've ever seen me speak in public. But they're so proud and supportive. And yeah. they just believe I can do anything. Is this kind of <laughs> gift of speaking and your confidence, is it something you've had to hone over the years? Or is this kind of who you are? You know, that's a great question. And I I think about confidence and being comfortable on stage is two very different things. Mm -hmm. So I've been on stage since I was six years old in school plays and then got into orchestra and advanced drama. So Mm -hmm. stage fright has never been a thing. That I completely separate from, you know, being wrapped in a web of insecurity and... I believe, really socially awkward all the way through high school and didn't really find my voice, my own voice, until mm. I was in college. What were you into in high school? Oh, I was on the math team. I was in advanced drama. I was the, you know, class vice president only because I memorized my speech, you know, drama. Again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, national merit scholar, valedictorian, precisely zero dates. So super nerd. And were you <laughs> precisely zero dates? Yeah, were I you can tell you how many dates. I mean, I guess back then, you know, even um, I was telling you that uh, we just had the interview with Chris DeVore and he mm-hmm. and I were joking that. High school kids today are like, this is what I want to be. And like, we didn't know what the hell we wanted to do or be. I can't you, imagine would your friends that from kind of clarity. be surprised to see who you've become? Likely, although I'm surprised too. I mean, <laughs> what would you have thought if I had asked you your sophomore year? Oh, well, at that time, you know, I've always had a plan, yeah. but throughout my career have been willing to go off plan when something cooler comes along. So round about that time, I think I'd switched from teacher to doctor. But Uh-oh. by the time I got to college, it became so abundantly clear to me that as much as I have a pretty high tolerance for my own pain, I cannot deal with other people's suffering. Mm. That's why I became a vegetarian when I was eight 
years old because I just couldn't. Are you still vegetarian? Yeah, I didn't know that. Are you vegan or vegetarian? No, vegetarian. I don't think I could live without eggs and cheese. (laughs) But yeah, vegetarian. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Um, So 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 that so you know I learned very quickly, eliminated that career path, and ever since then, everything I've stumbled into has been serendipity and just playing in traffic. I never would have imagined myself here, so I don't know that others would have either. Yeah. It's so interesting how those stories happen. And Mm. I'm actually pretty fascinated by that part. Mm. Just the kind of like um, assumption that people make that you're going to post your resume and Mm. then you're going to get that call. And it's not very typical that that is the way that it goes down. It's not necessarily a straight line for anyone. No, and certainly has been nonlinear for me. And I also recognize that, you know, when you and I were starting our careers 25 years ago, no internet. it was a different world. I'd like to think that technology is an enabling force that can help expand our consideration set in terms of what's even out there for me. You know, having changed jobs a couple of times, you know, through my 20s, I literally wrote letters and put them in the mail to the top 25 fastest growing companies in yeah. Cleveland, where I was living at the time. Yeah. That's not a thing people That's do not a thing. anymore. That's not a thing, yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, how did you, I mean, for college, Carleton College, a yes. girl from Seattle, mm-hmm. did you have like a college counselor helping you think through? I, again, just sort of doubling down on my nerddom here, between junior and senior year of high school, by choice, I went to an essay writing camp. Um, at Carleton. So I spent oh. three weeks on the campus. How did you find fell out about in love it? with the place. Um, Carleton actually has a very uh, deep Seattle alumni community. Mm. Okay. Um, so, and that's, again, creative writing, writing. That was sort of part of the teaching thing I thought I wanted to pursue. Absolutely loved it. Fell in love with the campus and knew enough about myself that I really like the idea of a smaller college. Mm-hmm. Garfield was pretty big, but yeah. frankly, Carlton wasn't much bigger. And right. so getting to spread my wings away from home, you know, experiment with who I wanted to be in that kind of a safe and connected environment was transformational. I'm so glad I went there. What, what do you mean when you say experiment with who, like, uh, as far as studying? Did you have, like, a rebel phase? Um. I, that was deferred probably till my early 30s. <laughs> I waited. Right. But in college, it was, um, you know, uh, Carlton had this really high concentration of nerds just like me. So, you know, I wouldn't have been the only girl on the math team or the only. So did you go on you your know, first date? I did. Yay. I did. Um, so it was lovely to sort of have that peer community of people who were also nerds or they wouldn't have been there. And then I got to branch out and explore other things. I joined a performing dance group. I continued continued with flute, as that always has uh, and does still feed me. But I don't think I would have gone into performing dance when I was in high school. I would have been too intimidated. So mm-hmm. you kind of just get to invent yourself yeah. when you arrive in a new place. Um, yeah, completely. And just I just had such an amazing, supportive, like I said, transformative experience. Yeah. And did you think at the time that you would... Um, kind of treat that as four years away and then obviously come back to Seattle? Or was it, maybe I I won't? I think in the back of my mind, home would always be home. As you can probably tell, I'm really close to my family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my brother moved back eventually uh, to Seattle. I Now that I'm home, I moved home about 
18 years ago, I have breakfast with my mom and stepdad every Sunday in the house I grew up in. That's so cute. <laughs> what do you guys have? Mom. French they... toast? Like, what do you have? Can we I have fruit and yogurt or oatmeal, and they make the best coffee. They have a commercial great espresso machine in their kitchen. That's their one habit oh. that they indulge. So everybody gets to have an indulgence. Yeah. Um, so I think what I'm saying is in the back of my mind, I thought I would always come back and then I would know when it was time. That, mm-hmm. you know, when and so I when was it time. time? Was that UW? Goodness, there were twists school? and turns. Um, so coming out of college, I worked, you know, as a history major focused on African-American women's and social history and social justice primarily. Of course, I went to work for an industrial supply distribution company. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, huh, as you do, <laughs> that doesn't quite add up. Interesting choice. The recruiter who showed up on campus convinced me that my experience as a resident assistant was really managerial and I had what it takes to be a middle manager. <laughs> so I joined this management development program. It probably did shape you in certain ways. It was, it was amazing. I learned yeah. a lot, good, bad, and otherwise. Yeah. So that brought me to Chicago. I got transferred to Cleveland to open a new 300,000 square foot office. Um, uh, that I, I ended up kind of hitting a glass ceiling, frankly. I was the youngest and only woman manager, had been promoted six times in as many years and didn't see much of a path. Yeah. Um, stayed in Cleveland for a couple more jobs. That's when I had my little stint in executive search. Oh. So you and I have that yes. in common. That's you know I've always been podcast. trying to get you over here. <laughs> Let's go. Come to the dark side. Um, and I will say, you know, you were asking, did I ever have that first date? Yes, I, I've, had, I've gone on a few dates since 1989. <laughs> um, and and I will say that, uh, you know, I was at this inflection point in my life when I was in Cleveland and had gotten engaged and came home for a high school reunion. And, and it was really not just connecting with friends there, but connecting with my brother who looked me in the eye and said, just tell me that you love him and I'll leave you alone. I'm like, oh, God, no, this isn't the right thing to do. Went back to Cleveland, broke up with the fiance, moved home. I Got thought it. I would have to quit my job in executive search, but they said, no, why don't you just open our Seattle office, which became the second bedroom of my tiny little apartment back home in Capitol I don't think Hill. I realized that little detail. Yeah. And then when did you decide to go back and get an MBA? You know, so I was working after I left that gig because I don't really have the capacity to work at home. I'm too social. I want to be around people all the time. I went to work at a law firm, which I was their first business development hire. Turns out that's not something they teach in law school. And, you know, in 2002, after the dot bomb and business wasn't coming in over the transom, my job was to help attorneys really hone their value proposition. This might start to sound familiar, helping Mm -hmm. people tell their own stories. Yeah. So I, I, you know, was the first hire in that in that discipline, worked there for, I don't know, a year and a half. But all of my spare time I spent volunteering in the nonprofit community. I've always had that draw, you know, towards a mission and towards yeah, social service. Yeah, I mean, service. preparing for this podcast and... I mean, I've got five pages here of notes. It's it's pretty robust. <laughs> it's pretty robust, dude. You've done a You're saying lot. I'm old, but it's true. I am not. I've had older people on with less notes. You've just done. You've packed it in. Uh, I like I said, maybe boundaries are something I could work on. But um, I have managed to fill my life with, you know, with work that I find that's meaningful, and not just in my day job. But at the time, I was serving on a board, um, the Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas. I was volunteering with an AIDS health, mm-hmm. uh, housing and healthcare initiative. And found that that's where all my passion was. And just had this aha moment where I realized life is too short to do what I love as a side hustle or a volunteer gig. And I asked myself, what do I need to turn this into a career? And I felt that 
nonprofit organizations would benefit from business acumen. And what yeah. a great opportunity. Did you know that you had um, business savvy? Or did you no, like and that's actually that? why I wanted to get my MBA. Now, in truth, as I look back, I'd built business units yeah, and run. Like it. You know, I had a billion dollar P and L under my you know purview when I was twenty four, which was bananas. I can't so believe bananas. they yeah. had me do that. So I didn't realize it. Um, it didn't come out of a textbook. It was my lived experience, you know, in management and business. But I still felt I could use those extra skills. So I went back to get my MBA, and that's what led me, again, serendipitously, yeah. not by intention, down this path to entrepreneurship. Yeah. I've been now for almost 15 years. It's like whether you're the entrepreneur or you're supporting entrepreneurs <laughs> mm-hmm. or you're giving back to the community by figuring out how to um, help entrepreneurs succeed mm-hmm. in Seattle, That's you've what, kind of yeah. done it all. And it seems Thank definitely you. like it's your passion. Um, given that you've been like such a force in the startup community for so many years, who have your influences been as far as people that have helped you along mm, the way? So many. And, you know, when I really started out properly in 2006, even a little earlier than that, there were very few visible, accessible, relatable role models for, you know, folks like us in tech. Not too many women out there. Not too many that were our age. I mean, I looked up to and still deeply admire Susanna Malarkey. She was running the Technology Alliance at the time. Susan Siegel was then a venture capitalist at what was Seapoint Ventures Mm. way back in the day. She went on to lead what has now become the WTIA. Um, You know, they were a solid kind of decade ahead of me in life Mm -hmm. experience. And I, I could aspire to be like them someday when I grew up, but it's yeah. but I w- what I found I think is that women, young women in particular, um, really do need role models who are mm-hmm. maybe a little closer to peers or you know kind of just ahead in their journey yeah. to help us along and encourage us to do exactly that. Yeah. Um, and it's not and so they were absolutely role models, and I had so many nudges along the way from peers and friends who, um, as these incredible career opportunities came my way, you know, gave me the extra boost of confidence that I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> and that got, it would and, be a and great you also, fit. I mean, just in the volunteer work that you've done, whether it's your passion or your kind of idea of giving back or your um, kind of the fact that mentoring others fuels mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. what has been your most rewarding mentoring experience as far as formal mentoring, like Nine Mile Labs, Techstars. Mm. I mean, you've done a lot of it. I have. And I think it's just that big sister in me coming out where if I have a superpower, it's helping people tell the best story that they can about themselves. And yeah. and by now, I've literally seen and coached and screened thousands of companies dating back to 2006. So yeah. part of what it is is pattern ma- matching. I've seen this movie before, and so I can ask them really directed questions mm-hmm. about where they want to take their path. So mm-hmm. there's so many incredible companies that I had the pleasure to meet and work with in the early days. You what are some about, that you're most excited about? Um, well, gosh, this little company that used to be called Beam It. Yeah. Remitly. is now Remitly. I got yeah. to work with in the early days and I knew yeah. one of the co-founders from a company that we funded at Alliance of Angels. You know, all, when you, I think that, again, show up for people and play in traffic, uh, it comes back to you. That was amazing. For sure. Um, really great to see actually what was one of, a, one of the tougher journeys in tech stars. I love to see them turn it around. It was a company that started off in the HR tech space called Group Talent, mm. which is now Outreach. Yeah, Outreach. Right? They they ended yeah. up kind of eating their own dog food. Manny developing called me originally own. with that, and and we kind of um, networked together to get yeah. him in front of a lot of agency owners to try to 
test out his idea. And he figured out very quickly yeah. he'd become a glorified agency. But yeah. he found, you know, through that process, he and his co-founders found what the market really wanted and what they were best in the world at. Yeah. I just love seeing people, you know, find their calling and yeah. go after it with all of the grit and determination and passion and imagination that those are just two examples. Um, They're good ones. And what about yeah. if somebody's listening that's looking for a mentor? What's the best way to find one and how do you mm-hmm. go about building that relationship? What's your advice? Yeah, I think that, you know, when people have asked that of me, I immediately have this sort of imposter syndrome moment of, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I have time or if I have the skills, am I going to let them down? It's a huge ask. I don't want to overcommit and underdeliver. And I think mentorship um, writ large has become shorthand for what people are really looking for, which is, you know, um, uh, support, inspiration, common links to their own past, somebody who's sort of just ahead of them that can not necessarily guide them the entire way, but give give them a nudge. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I try to show up um, and give those nudges when they're needed. I'm wondering if you're thinking of it more as a role of an accountability or more as a person who can help them network or more of the person that can help vet ideas or all of the Yes to all of those things. And I do try to put guardrails around it so we can both have a great experience. So Mm -hmm. um, I love saying yes to coffee meetings, and that's something I will continue to do. Um, And I usually ask, you know, what are you looking to get out of this? I Mm -hmm. encourage people to ask me for who are two other people I should meet. That is a typical outcome of a coffee meeting is that mm-hmm. we come up together with two people in my network that I think could be helpful to them. So that's mm-hmm. a typical outcome. Um, as a mentor or just, you know, nudger, big sister, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, my philosophy is to ask questions. I really try not to give advice. I truly believe you have the answers within and my job is to ask really directive questions that enable you to to own, you know, have agency in the outcome. Like it has to come from you. It has to be intrinsically motivated or it won't be sustained. So that's the way I engage in those conversations. And then for me to open up my network, which like you, I treat like gold. I mean, we've all worked hard to earn the trust of the people in our network. I'm always double opt-in. If somebody after a meeting doesn't send me an email that I can forward, if they don't follow with me, that means they probably won't follow up with the person that I'm about to introduce them to. Mm-hmm. And, That's you know, sadly, advice. game over, right? So yeah. so I think that, you know, I can set them up to succeed, set myself up mm-hmm. to succeed, even the, in the a other brief pet, interaction. The other, like, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, but I guess I will just call it a pet peeve, yeah. is when people kind of want me to do all the heavy lifting. Do Where a little do bit see of research. In five it's years. better if you what? do a little yeah. research and then you're asking for a specific favor. Precisely. Um, or if you know the outcome that you're looking for versus just kind of, hey, there's this open canvas, now what? Exactly. You've got to have a little bit of work done right. already. Sometimes people come to Seattle from other cities and they want to know the fastest and best and most efficient and um, most generous way to get mm. involved mm-hmm. in the Seattle community. Yeah. What and- would you suggest as far as the high impact? People, events, 
things to do. Yeah. So I think that it's so tempting because there's so much activity going on in Seattle to spread yourself around like peanut butter. And I think both you will exhaust yourself. And then if you don't choose your favorite you know, organization to get deeply involved with, it's really hard to become that known and trusted leader in the community. And you know how we are in Seattle. The organism rejects the transplant. Like we, mm. we really want to get to know and trust people before we really let them in. I don't particularly subscribe to the Seattle yeah, I don't freeze. Think it'd be like that. Not yeah. in the least. But I do think that if you really want to make an impact and become known as a thought leader, it's like when you go to college uh, or grad school in my case, and you think about all the clubs that you want to join. So I signed up and paid my dues at all the clubs just so I could have those options open to me. And then I found, oh, let me go to a few meetings. Here's the two that I love. Here's the two that um, I will learn something from, and hopefully they will be better because I'm mm-hmm. there. I have something Which ones are your favorites? You were like, oh, in Seattle? Yeah. Gosh. Well, as you know, I'm deeply engaged both with Techstars and the Ready, Set, Raise Accelerator for the Female Founders Alliance. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly passionate yeah. about that. We're, the, we're I think, their first sponsor. The, oh, that's so yeah. great. It's from day one yeah. or maybe second. But yeah, in yeah. there. And, been, and for yeah. me, you know, that works because um, – If I have a gift with startups, it's helping them tell their stories. And that's exactly how I choose to engage with these two organizations. So I can show up consistently. And it is over a short period of time, only two or three months, um, but meet with them week in, week out. Selfishly, I get to see the amazing evolution that they undergo on their own. Yes. And to be some small part of that by helping them with their storytelling is so fulfilling for me. So that's where I engage. I sort of ask myself, who are the kinds of people I want to spend time with? Mm -hmm. Does the mission align with my personal values? You know, Techstars is Give First and with Female Founders Alliance, I could not be more deeply committed to gender equity in every form in this society. Mm-hmm. So check those boxes. Yeah. Do I get to do something that is both meaningful and I'm good at? Yes, yes, yes. That's where yeah. I engage. No, so you're perfect have your that. own checklist yeah. as Absolutely. you approach different organizations. Yeah. And what have you learned along the way, having had exposure to so many different companies about leadership? Mm-hmm. What makes a good leader? Yeah, it is that, you know, it's that X factor that you know it when you see it. But I think if I had to describe the qualities, there is this really interesting mix of confidence and passion with uh, humility and vulnerability, where you have the passion in your convictions. You have this vision for the future that you believe that you are uniquely qualified to lead. Otherwise, you wouldn't have quit that amazing day job that you had. Yeah. Yet... Like just the two examples that I gave earlier, the sheer fact of pivoting takes the self-awareness to say, all right, something's not going right, and then listening to the market. Right? Yeah. So it's that combination that I think a lot of mentors describe as coachability. It's like, I don't care if they listen to me or take my advice. What matters is that they're open. That they're listening. They're, they're focused and passionate, but open and driven at the same time. Yeah. And you see it again and again. I love that. You're leading Create 33 right now. Um, which of the roles along the way has been the most rewarding? I know you're not going to mm. say because you're going to be like afraid of, but like which one has been like, wow, I feel like I've really made an impact here. That That is a great and difficult question. And I think as you know, every step of my journey in for-profit, nonprofit, academia, government even. Yeah. Um, has I remember re- you took the government job. I'm like, what? <laughs> Much to my own and everyone's surprise. Yeah. I've learned and I hope contributed something in every capacity. I think 
in terms of you know, of impact, you know, really the the time that I spent at GeekWire building that business from you know the ground up with these two amazing journalists that were the co-founders. They did the journalism, and I got to do the everything else yeah. <laughs> for the first couple of years, and sort of embracing that full stack mentality of. I'm contacting the vendor to spin up servers when we have a spike in traffic. I'm negotiating an acquisition. I'm selling and inserting ads. I mean, it, all the things. You got to do all sorts of stuff. That, you know, ha- sort of I used all the experience I had, but that really deepened the empathy that now I continue to, I hope, to bring to the startup community. So I'm proud of that in terms of impact and just so delighted to continue to see GeekWire grow and expand their impact. So that's amazing. But I think in terms of where I may be proudest of myself, it's when something really scares me. And I say yes anyway. That's where you grow the most. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the most recent example of that is I had been serving on this board, the Center for American Entrepreneurship. So this is the national nonprofit board that's centered in D.C. We focus, just FYI, on uh, research and advocacy for policies and programs to support startups at the federal level. So here's this national organization. I've been volunteering as a board member while I was at the city. So the president, like the executive director of this nonprofit calls, and I really could have sworn he's like, thank you for your service. We don't need you anymore. Peace. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, oh, you know, we loved your city perspective. And now, whatever, you're just another, you know, entrepreneur accelerator type. Um, he said, we had been hoping you would leave the cities of employment because we wanted you to be chair of this organization <laughs> since we started. <laughs> and I was blown away. So that's amazing. That's, you know, one of the, the tough things about working in government is that, you know, at the end of the day, your job is to be the spokesperson for the elected that you support. And I ended up, you know, serving in the mayor's cabinet. And there are certain constraints that go with that. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity, but it has those constraints. Once those constraints were removed, they asked me to chair this thing. And I was shocked and terrified and took about 30 seconds to say, yes, I will do it. And it's been so incredibly rewarding, you know, serving now for, you know, a little over the past year in that capacity and getting to be part of crafting policy and really leaning into advocacy for immigrant entrepreneurs, women, women of color, um, helping convene a national roundtable of 22 women from across the country That's incredible. who met with the first Senate Bipartisan Entrepreneurship Caucus that has ever been convened and shared with them the lived experiences yeah. of so entrepreneurship that's, and that's women. high impact. Oh, I, I certainly hope so. Oh, for sure. When you can actually pull, you know, pull those levers at the federal yeah. level. And it's measurable. Yes. I mean, we yeah. have a long way to go. Yeah. That's another podcast. But yes. Yeah. So the stuff that, that terrifies me, that's where I get the most excited and hope yeah. it will make the most difference. And tell me about Create 33, the business model, what you're building, and how that is fueling you today. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, having been in this ecosystem as you have for many, many years, you can't help but notice there are some wonderful resources for entrepreneurs from the, I have an idea, through I've raised a million dollars, right? But then you kind of fall off a resource cliff. It's like, holy crap, you know, I now have to hire people and acquire customers and raise more money and all the things. Um, So we are very purposefully filling that void and have been for just over a year since we properly launched a little over a year ago. Um, So, you know, getting to serve you know, what I believe are the most interesting high growth technology startups Mm -hmm. with very targeted educational content. So programs delivered by experts, very interactive in nature, Um, really strategic connections. We spend a lot of time connecting our startups with investors and with customers 
and the peer community itself. I mean, at the end of the day, our greatest asset is having this incredible concentration of high growth entrepreneurs who learn mm -hmm. from each other. Yeah. So that's the community we're building. And it's tough to describe in just a word because we're kind of creating a new category. Yeah. We have a beautiful office, which you visited. Yes. Um, but we're not a real estate company, right? We're not in the co-working business. Yeah. We really focus on expert and mentor-driven education and connections, but we're not an accelerator and that we don't take equity and there's no start and end date. It's really evergreen. People can join um, um, as they and as what are the right qualifiers as far as joining. We, do they have to apply? They do. It is by application only. We don't have memberships for consumer products companies. We're not the best in the world to serve them. We don't have memberships for service providers or agencies or consultants. We are really purposeful in making sure that it is a peer community where everyone there can learn from anyone there. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's kind of the, the curation. But tech, I have always believed, is not really a vertical but a horizontal that cuts across every industry sector. So well, we have especially more and more every Every day, right? Every day. Every yeah. company is a tech company, whether yeah. you're innovating in interior design or commerce or yeah. wellness this or gaming. I know they're in Create 30 yeah. I had I Mia. here. Mia Love, yeah, here. she's great. And of they're course, great. Um, who are some of <laughs> Daniela, your... Daniela, Luzi Tudor. Oh, yeah. I've thinking of the Daniela ones you've had on, on your podcast. Here. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> I love the company she's building also. She's amazing. And what do you think is the biggest challenge that we're facing right now in Seattle as far as innovation, disruption? Um, is I mean, relative to your 15 years, are yeah. we at a great time, a challenging time? Here, so here's what excites and terrifies me at the same time. Like we are living in this world of increasing automation. And so there, I have this deep-seated belief that as tasks become automated, that should free us as humans to engage more in creative pursuits. Like that's the utopic right. dream that of I course. have. Wow, the backdrop of the reality is that when we think about how technology is disrupting these industries, um, we find that uh, people of color, immigrants, women, uh, people with barriers to entry in technology are disproportionately barriered from participating in this revolution. So what I fear is that the existing income inequality will only bigger. be exacerbated with automation. And so I sort of embrace this philosophy of uh, empathy, creativity, and computational thinking. That's the triumvirate that we need to instill in our youth and give them exposure to these opportunities as early as possible so they can equitably participate in what I know will be this amazing Star Trek-like, you know, boom of innovation. Mm -hmm. But it, it, what, what terrifies me is that not everyone can participate. Well, that, that leads me, like, exactly right now to my next question, which is what role you see yourself mm. And specifically Create 33 playing as far as um, how you're planning to serve underrepresented mm. communities and yeah. people. Um, like, how are you the, being intentional about yeah, that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, so part of our values, and I think it's so important to declare your values as early as possible, uh, is that I my vision is for Create 33 to be the most diverse and dynamic community that it can be. And that means in every regard, whether it's industry, as we were talking about, 
about uh, gender or, you know, national origin, ethnicity, race, you name it. Um, That doesn't mean we have different standards for different communities. It means that we have to go out and find these amazing innovators where they are and get out of what traditionally has been an echo chamber in the world of venture scale businesses. And so um, one of the ways we've we've done a couple of things along those lines have had wonderful support from community partners. We ran a, a small pilot last year with J.P. Morgan Chase, where they underwrote the memberships of women and people of color who are engaging in the fintech space. We now have, um, I think, one of the most interesting and certainly biggest fintech communities in the Pacific Northwest, and it is also the most diverse. So we are, you know, living our values just in that practice alone. For this year, we have engaged in a startup success program in partnership with my former office, the Office of Economic Development, where they share uh, our vision. And specifically, their mission is to support black and brown entrepreneurs who have been barrier to entering uh, the world of tech startup. So we're doing a six-month program uh, for 15 entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. And so, love it. I'm so excited. And our launch event is in partnership with Female Founders Alliance, which we're hosting at Crate 33. So it's sort well, of I know... all the things that I'm so excited about. Oh, yeah. You're like merging all your worlds. <laughs> yeah. I want to know when that is because I want to make sure I go. Yes. I mean, I'm sure Leslie will send something, but also you send something. I sure will miss it. Um, That's awesome. And so I guess I'm just super curious how you balance all of this because you're also still teaching, right, at UW? I do teach, and I just teach winter quarter, and it's on Still. Saturdays. It's it's a big lift. You have to prepare. Yeah, so I teach. I mentor at these accelerators. I, I serve as chair of the board, but what makes it possible is that Every one of the activities that I do makes me better at all the other things. Yeah. Well, you're, what, what's nice is that it sounds like you're pretty laser focused right now. I and am. I think I it's going to be, be interesting. <laughs> As your friend, I'm yes. just giving you a little like, hmm, how's this going to play out when little baby girl arrives? Yes. Because that's going to be something that has um, officially been announced by the time this podcast That's right. comes out. And absolutely life-changing. And, you know. You're going to um, be a great mama. Thank you so much. So I'm good. so excited. And by the way, I will babysit anytime. <laughs> I love babies. <laughs> I do that for a friend of mine I as well. Babies. And it's just amazing. Yes. Um, I, am, I am looking forward to that transformation in my life and expecting a lot of disruption and so grateful to have a wonderful partner who his whole life has wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. So he will be um, the primary caregiver of our little bundle. Um, and we just have a wonderful partnership in terms of how we divide and conquer and support each other and get everything that's done. Great. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. hard to find. So that's amazing. I feel very lucky. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and so you balance your time by merging everything together. But how do you completely unplug? Right. Uh, two things. One, seriously babysitting my friend's little girl. Um, it's it's a meditation. You can't think about anything else when you are focusing on this small child. Like I suffer from having a million thoughts in my head at once, and it's very difficult for me to be quiet. I suspect meditation is going to be on my to-do list at some point because it's just not something I've yeah, consciously not engaged in. Yeah. So being focused on this little girl for two or three hours a week has been an interesting meditation, although you know that my therapy... <laughs> 
is karaoke. I mean, straight I up. Like, How what? often are you going to do karaoke? <laughs> well, so other than singing to this baby, um, and we have a homeroki set up. So my partner is a musician and has some amazing equipment. So a couple microphones and a mixing board, YouTube and a big screen TV is all you need. So we have in home karaoke. I'll have to have you, you have over. Over? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can drink the wine. I will hold the baby. You karaoke for me. I will be in heaven. I'll be like holding a baby and listening to you sing. What more could you? Oh, well, thank you. What is your what's your partner's name? Sean. Sean. Yes. S H A W N. S E A N. Oh, S E A N. He's Irish. He's a dual Sean. citizen. Yeah. Those four Irish does he, grandparents. Does he have an Sean Patrick. No, he no. Not met him. He was born in New Jersey. He's very much a Jersey. A Jersey boy. Kid. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. So, what instrument does he play? Uh, primarily guitar. Oh, he, okay. He's one of these guys that actually, for my birthday, um, prepared three of my favorite Joan Jett songs, and he played them oh, both on guitar him. and drums at the same time. What? No, he's amazing. Is he like an octopus? <laughs> what? Plays the drums with his feet. You'd have to see it to believe it. I, are you being serious right I'm now? I'm completely serious. Okay, I need to see this. I need yeah. to see this. Um, where do you Where do you see this going? Like, where Where's Rebecca going to be in ten years? You're going to mm. have a ten year old little girl. Because your legacy, I guess, going to be right. Well, I mean, you know, my sort of hope and always insecurity is that. I really do want to continue to make an impact, and you will. I'm thank you. I'm constantly asking myself, how am I best equipped to do that? Um, I think as my career continues, you know, one of the things I believe as a leader and manager is that ultimately, you know, as much as I can see a future for myself at Create Thirty Three for years, great leaders kind of work themselves out of a job, and they cultivate the next generation of great leaders. And you know, over time, you know, we're in kind of a refinement phase mm-hmm. in twenty. 2020 and 2021 might be scaling, but at some point, scaling, I hope, will mean we bring in great people who are better than I am at each of the activities that sustains this organization. That's kind of the dream. And mm-hmm. so if that enables me to make space to teach a little more or, you know, say yes to another board opportunity or chair the next organization, um, where I am, I'm leaning into tech right now, but as you can probably tell from my volunteer work in my whole life, I've always... Um, believed that there's work for me to do in social service, and I, I see myself picking that up again uh, over time. Well, you're such a gift. I wish we could clone you and have like five, oh, five of you. <laughs> You'll you. make an impact if you just physically show up, seriously, or you could <laughs> even you. just dial in because you're Aww. so um, brilliant and so high energy, and you've always been this way. You're oh, just awesome. You. I'm so psyched you're that you're on the podcast. Yourself. Like, seriously. Thank my final question, because I ask everyone, um, it's my only predictable thing on here, hopefully, is mm. what fuels you? Oh, gosh. I've already admitted to being a pleaser and a fixer, and what fuels me is the idea that I can help make other people more successful in their best selves. I love it. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Can't you, wait to Shana. meet little baby. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.